Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. And this is Love to Tell the Story. Amongst the relatively few stories that appear in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is, of course, the story of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the story of Easter. But in each account, while it's the same story, it's different. Granted, different in small ways that don't lessen the impact of the story, but it's different nonetheless. Matthew, for instance, is the only account of the four that speaks of a violent earthquake. Jesus himself only makes an appearance in Matthew and John. And there's some question as to who and how many actually came to the empty tomb that morning. To it, Mary is all alone in the garden in John, having been left there by two of the disciples. But as Mark tells the story, there are three women who came to the tomb, including Mary. And speaking of Mark, there's the matter of how those three women fled the empty tomb in, as Mark puts it, terror and amazement, as though they were afraid of Jesus actually having risen from the dead. Well, on this particular Easter Sunday, that's the version of the resurrection story we're going to look at. It's a message entitled, Afraid of Easter, and it's based on those first eight verses of Mark, chapter 16. It really is quite a story, isn't it? I mean, the whole gospel story is what I'm talking about here. The Bible is, in large part, narrative, part of the larger story of God's relationship with his people throughout the course of human history. But, you know, I have to say that that which is encapsulated by the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, well, that... That, friends, that's the stuff of high drama. A tale that even before one considers its greater and deeper meaning has all the elements of what the British refer to as a ripping yarn. It's a great story. Central to this story is a noble, wise, and kind hero who stands opposed to a corrupt and oppressive establishment who speaks boldly and eloquently of a wonderful and divine realm that is coming soon. Based on this truly good news, the hero develops a great following from amongst the people, and they begin to place all their hope in him. And indeed, for a great while, great things, some might even say miraculous things, were starting to happen. The blind, they're having their sight restored. The sick are being healed of their diseases. And the poor, the dispossessed, all those by who worldly standards were ever on the fringes of life, suddenly now they're being welcomed in, forgiven of sin, and set free. It was true. Wherever the hero was near, Amazing, life-changing things were always taking place. And before long, the crowds around him were growing so large that when the hero made his entry into the city, the event took on the air of a coronation. But then, then, 
The dreams of his followers are shattered when the hero is brutally and unjustly murdered at the hands of the authorities of his time. And afterward, his friends, whose spirits by now are irreparably broken, <clears throat> flee in fear for their own lives. The hero is dead. The story is over. <laughs> Except it isn't. Just when everything seems at its darkest, just when there's no hope left at all, the hero bursts forth from the grave, victorious and vindicated by none other than God. <coughs> and moreover, his followers joyfully discover that their hero is alive. And this realization instills within them new confidence, new hope. And they are empowered to go boldly into the world, proclaiming the hero's good news of salvation. That's the story of Easter, friends. And you know what? You can almost hear strains of the Alleluia Chorus rising to a crescendo as we tell it. Because you know what? That's our story, friends. That's what all the singing and shouting is all about. And it is what we have come here this morning from wherever we are to celebrate this morning. It's Easter, the day of resurrection, the time in which Jesus is alive and the whole gospel story comes to an end in joy and in triumph. Or does it? Did it not seem to you, as it did to me, that our reading for this morning, as Cindy read it to us, didn't really jive with that synopsis I just offered? To begin with, you see, Mark's version of the story only allots a scant eight verses to the resurrection. It almost comes off sounding like a mere footnote to the rest of the gospel story. Moreover, Jesus himself doesn't even make an appearance. And perhaps worst of all, instead of concluding with this air of joy and triumph that I was talking about, the whole thing ends abruptly. Actually, in terms of the original language, it ends mid-sentence with the three women fleeing from the tomb in terror and amazement. No shouts of joy and triumph to be found in this passage. In fact, there's no shouting of any kind. Because as we're told very simply by Mark, they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Huh. Afraid. Afraid. Not exactly what we're expecting. Certainly not what we all came together here this morning to hear. I mean, what an abrupt, awkward, ambiguous ending to such a spectacular story. Now, we should note here that there is a little bit more of Mark's gospel, but in fact, most biblical scholars believe that those words were added later much later, to wrap up the story, as it were, albeit in a, in a rather general fashion. No, most uh, biblical scholars and language experts believe that Mark intended 
to end the story right then and there at verse 8, with the women running in fear. With no further appearances of the risen Christ, no comforting words of shalom to fear-ridden disciples hiding in the upper room, no conversation on the road to Emmaus, no breakfast of fish on the beach with Peter and the others, no questioning of Peter, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? None of it. There's just this abrupt, stunned, stupefied, silent, fearful ending to an incredible story. Which actually, when you think about it, kind of makes sense, given the situation. Some years ago, I read a news story about a man who had suddenly disappeared from his home in Ohio. And after a long and fruitless search for this man, after eight years, the man was officially declared dead. And of course, in the time that passed, life went on. His wife and children worked through their grief. She eventually remarried. The man adopted her children as his own. Together they had more children. Life went on, like I said. But then, all of a sudden, the first husband turns up alive and returns home to Ohio. It was amazing. It was the kind of story you really only see in the movies, right? And you would have thought it would have brought forth some level of joy on the part of his family. But instead, there were more questions about this than there were exclamations. I remember this story because I remember the reporters asking this woman, well, how are you feeling about your husband's sudden reappearance? And, and all she could say with this really kind of shell-shocked look on her face, she said, I just wish it wasn't true. We had gotten used to him being dead. Resurrection, you see, isn't all that easy a thing to deal with. So, here were these three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, who ventured out to the tomb very early on a cold and dark morning so that they could perform one final act of devotion for their departed master, to anoint his dead body with aloes and sweet-smelling spices. Now remember, these were the only ones close to Jesus who dared to do so. The rest of them were still hiding out for fear of their own lives, to say nothing of dealing with all of their grief in the aftermath of everything that had happened over the past days. Despite all of this, however, these women knew that even in death there were things to be done, matters to be attended to. Just one more thing remained. It was just about a decent burial, done according to tradition, and once that was done, it would all be done. It would be finished. And, and I'm sure as they approached the tomb, they were thinking to themselves, maybe they didn't even say it aloud, but they were thinking, we need to get this done and over with, and that'll be it. 
So imagine then what it was for them to come to the tomb and see that the stone blocking the entrance of the tomb, a stone so huge that they'd already wondered how they were possibly going to move it without help, had already been rolled back. And then entering the tomb to investigate, to find there, as Mark puts it, a young man dressed in a white robe, who, as Mark also puts it, alarmed them, scared them. And he gives them news that's even more alarming. You, you were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Now, given that kind of news, it's no wonder that they all ran from that place in terror and amazement. To put it bluntly, this wasn't how it was supposed to go. They'd come to pay their respects one last time to poor Jesus, to say goodbye, bring some closure to it all. Because, well, that's what you do when somebody dies. Death is the end, after all. It's the one great equalizer, the one thing that no one can avoid forever. Death represents, you see, the ultimate defeat. And Jesus was dead. They'd seen it happen. They were there when he had been crucified. But now, now there's this strangely heavenly messenger bringing news to them that not only is Jesus alive, but he's already gone on ahead of them to Galilee. Well, that's the kind of news that was much more than on any of them could comprehend. What were they supposed to do about it? How were they supposed to deal with this, this incredible, inconceivable possibility that Jesus who had died had actually risen risen from the dead and you know what I think I understand because the truth is I probably would have reacted the same way scared half out of my wits go Tell his disciples and Peter, the messenger had told them. Go, go and tell. Go and tell. It's a wonder they could move, much less speak. They were afraid. Simple as that. They were afraid of Easter. Like we said before, that's where Mark ends the story. With the fear with the women unable to say anything about what had happened to anyone. And as I also said before, that's not how we like to see the story end. If this were the movies, we'd much prefer the triumphant finish with the end up in the screen in bold red letters, or at least to fade to black and let the credits roll. But once again, right now, it seems like we're still getting those fateful words we, we kept hearing, at least in spirit, all through Palm Sunday and Monday, Thursday and Good Friday, to be continued. 
And that's because, you see, there's more to the story. There's a sequel in the making, if you will, a new story that begins with the risen Christ going on ahead of them. Speaking of movies, Steven Spielberg. He was once quoted as saying that, quote, stories don't have a middle and an end. They have a beginning that never stops beginning. I love that. Well, it seems to me that this is our story. For you see, at the center of our story is the truth that God in Jesus Christ has conquered death. God has removed the one final barrier of life and lifting and living. What Isaiah refers to as the shroud that is cast over all peoples. It is the sheet spread over all the nations and that has been destroyed. And in its destruction, he has swallowed up death forever. By the resurrection of Christ Jesus, there are truly no more dead ends. Death can no longer have a hold on us. And because of this, ours is a story with no end. It's a story, a life that is full now and abundant and eternal and keeps on beginning afresh. Christ is risen. And the story goes on because the future is ours now and forever. Beloved, our salvation does not come in some twisted notion that if we somehow manage to, to do everything we're supposed to do in just the right way and in just the right time, we might just squeak by and achieve righteousness before God. That's not about what our salvation about. That part has already been done for us. By his death on the cross, Jesus already paid the price for our sin. That is our not being able to do what is right before God. Indeed, by his resurrection, we are shown beyond any kind of doubt that we are loved and utterly cherished by God now and forever. And hallelujah and amen for that. This does not mean that our story is over. For the world that God so loves, and certainly not for you and for me who God loves. Once again, all through this year, we have, in this Lenten season, I've been talking here about our shared journey to the cross and how that journey ultimately does not end at the cross, but eventually comes to the, to the empty tomb. But here is the thing, even there at the empty tomb, even now as we are confronted with a risen Lord, it turns out that our journey is far from over. Resurrection, you see, doesn't end the story of our discipleship. Our walk with Jesus is far from finished. On the contrary, that walk is just now beginning. See, that's the thing about our reading today. That's the thing really about every telling of this wonderful, amazing, triumphant tale. In every version, the disciples eventually encounter the risen Christ. And then he sends them forth 
with what that little coda in Mark refers to as, quote, the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Basically what we call the Great Commission. And so it is for us. We come to this day, we come to this place in Easter joy. But that's not where it stops. Because then we get sent out into a needful, hurting, and a very scared world to be disciples of our risen Savior, Christ Jesus, to accept the joy and the cost of that discipleship, to proclaim his good news to all the world. See, that's where the story really begins. With fears transformed, with joy made real, and lives filled with hope and promise, victory and triumph. Maybe you heard the old story about the little boy who came home from Sunday school and announced to his family that he had just learned a new song. And his parents asked, well, which song was that? He said, you know, the one about drums. About drums, they asked. Yes, you, you know, Christ the Lord has rhythm today. I could use those drums right now. Well, you know what? It seems to me that however you sing it, it's a fitting hymn for a wonderful day. For the risen Christ in his victory over death has set a new pulse, a fresh beat for our lives, yours and mine. And in the resurrection, we go forth from this place telling that story of triumph by our very lives. It is a story that is still unfolding, even now, with lots of twists and turns yet to be revealed. But it is a story that you and I can go boldly out into the word and tell with confidence, with joy, and with unending hope, even in a world that sometimes seems hopeless. Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And he has already gone on ahead to lead us forward, both now and in the glorious life to come. It needs proclamation. It needs shouting. And it needs shouting today. It needs shouting tomorrow and again and again in every day that is to come. So we need to get started. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. And that's the message entitled, Afraid of Easter. It was recorded as part of our April 4th Easter Sunday online service of worship at East Church. To which, by the way, you are always invited to join us live. It happens each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. We would love it if you could share in our worship with us. And with that, we're at the end of this episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, Happy Easter. And may God bless you with a great day every day. Talk to you soon.